For Sunday, April 15th, 2018, this is Epitome. Episode 60. From the Essays of Schopenhauer, Councils and Maxims. Translated by T. Bailey Saunders. The Ages of Life. Excerpts. From the standpoint of youth, life seems to stretch away into an endless future. From the standpoint of old age, to go back but a little way into the past, so that at the beginning, life presents us with a picture in which the objects appear a great way off, as though we had reversed our telescope, while in the end, everything seems so close. To see how short life is, a man must have grown old, that is to say, he must have lived long. On the other hand, as the years increase, things look smaller, one and all, and life, which had so firm and stable a base in the days of our youth, now seems nothing but a rapid flight of moments, every one of them illusory. We have come to see that the whole world is vanity. Time itself seems to go at a much slower pace when we are young, so that not only is the first quarter of life the happiest, it is also the longest of all. It leaves more memories behind it. If a man were put to it, he could tell you more out of the first quarter of his life than out of two of the remaining periods. Nay, in the spring of life, as in the spring of the year, the days reach a length that is positively tiresome. But in the autumn, whether of the year or of life, though they are short, they are more genial and uniform. But why is it that to an old man his past life appears so short? For this reason, his memory is short, and so he fancies that his life has been short too. He no longer remembers the insignificant parts of it, and much that was unpleasant is now forgotten. How little, then, there is left! For in general a man's memory is as imperfect as his intellect, and he must make a practice of reflecting upon the lessons he has learned and the events he has experienced, if he does not want them both to sink gradually into the gulf of oblivion. Now, we are unaccustomed to reflect upon matters of no importance, or, as a rule, upon things that we have found disagreeable, and yet that is necessary if memory of them is to be preserved. The longer we live, the fewer are the things that we can call important or significant enough to deserve further consideration, and by this alone they can be fixed in the memory. In other words, they are forgotten as soon as they are past. Thus it is that time runs on, leaving always fewer traces of its passage. Further, if disagreeable things have happened to us, we do not care to ruminate upon them, least of all when they touch our vanity, as is usually the case. For few misfortunes fall upon us for which we can be held entirely blameless. So people are very ready to forget many things that are disagreeable, as well as many that are unimportant. The things we did in years gone by, the events that happened long ago, are like those objects on the coast which, to the seafarer on his outward voyage, become smaller every minute, more unrecognizable and harder to distinguish. Again, why is it that in youth we can see no end to the years that seem to lie before us? Because we are obliged to find room for all the things we hope to attain in life. We cram the years so full of projects that if we were to try and carry them all out, death would come prematurely, though we reached the age of Methuselah. 
Another reason why life looks so long when we are young is that we are apt to measure its length by the few years we have already lived. In those early years, things are new to us, and so they appear important. We dwell upon them after they have happened, and often call them to mind, and thus in youth life seems replete with incident, and therefore of long duration. As life becomes more and more unconscious, the nearer it approaches the point at which all consciousness ceases, the course of time itself seems to increase in rapidity. In childhood, all the things and circumstances of life are novel, and that is sufficient to awake us to the full consciousness of existence. Hence at that age, the day seems of such immense length. The same thing happens when we are traveling. One month seems longer than four spent at home. Still, though time seems to last longer when we are young or on a journey, the sense of novelty does not prevent it from now and then, in reality, hanging heavily upon our hands under both these circumstances, at any rate more than is the case when we are old or staying at home. But the intellect gradually becomes so rubbed down and blunted by long habituation to such impressions that things have a constant tendency to produce less and less impression upon us as they pass by. And this makes time seem increasingly less important, and therefore shorter in duration. The hours of the boy are longer than the days of the old man. Accordingly, time goes faster and faster the longer we live, like a ball rolling down a hill. Hence, it may be said that as far as concerns the immediate sensation that time makes upon our minds, the length of any given year is in direct proportion to the number of times it will divide our whole life. For instance, at the age of fifty, the year appears to us only one-tenth as long as it did at the age of five. This variation in the rate at which time appears to move exercises a most decided influence upon the whole nature of our existence at every period of it. First of all, it causes childhood, even though it embrace only a span of fifteen years, to seem the longest period of life, and therefore the richest in reminiscences. Next, it brings it about that a man is apt to be bored just in proportion as he is young. Consider, for instance, that constant need of occupation, whether it is work or play, that is shown by children. If they come to an end of both work and play, a terrible feeling of boredom ensues. Even in youth, people are no means free from this tendency, and dread the hours when they have nothing to do. As manhood approaches, boredom disappears, and old men find the time too short when their days fly past them like arrows from a bow. With this increased rapidity of time, Boredom mostly passes away as we advance in life, and as the passions with all their attendant pain are then laid asleep, the burden of life is on the whole appreciably lighter in later years than in youth. Youth is the period of unrest and age of repose, and from that very circumstance the relative degree of pleasure belonging to each may be inferred. The child stretches out its little hands in the eager desire to seize all the pretty things that meet its sight, charmed by the world because all its senses are still so young and fresh. Much the same thing happens with the youth, 
and he displays greater energy in his quest. He too is charmed by all the pretty things and the many pleasing shapes that surround him, and forthwith his imagination conjures up pleasures which the world can never realize. So he is filled with an ardent desire, for he knows not what delights, robbing him of all rest and making happiness impossible. But when old age is reached, all this is over and done with, partly because the blood runs cooler, and the senses are no longer so easily allured, partly because experience has shown the true value of things and the futility of pleasure, whereby illusion can be gradually dispelled, and the strange fancies and prejudices, which previously concealed or distorted a free and true view of the world, have been dissipated and put to flight, with the result that a man can now get a juster and clearer view and see things as they are, and also, in a measure, attain more or less insight into the nullity of all things on this earth. Disillusion is the chief characteristic of old age, for by that time the fictions are gone, which gave life its charm and spurred on the mind to activity. The splendors of the world have been proved null and vain. Its pomp, grandeur, and magnificence are faded. A man has then found out that behind most of the things he wants, and most of the pleasures he longs for, there is very little, after all. And so he comes by degrees to see that our existence is all empty and void. It is certainly a very melancholy thing that all a man's faculties tend to waste away as he grows old, and at a rate that increases in rapidity. But still this is a necessary, nay a beneficial arrangement or otherwise death, for which it is a preparation, would be too hard to bear. So the greatest boon that follows the attainment of extreme old age is euthanasia, an easy death, not ushered in by disease and free from all pain and struggle. Until our next episode, this is Bob Gonzalez wishing you joy, peace, health, and love throughout all the time of your life.